Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11 with Pastor John King. Uh, good morning. Today we continue in chapter 3 of Colossians. We're going to be in um, verses 5 through 11 today of Colossians. Verses 5 through 11. So if you would turn to your Bibles, uh, open up your tablets or your phones, and uh, please uh, take a look at verses 5 through 11 in chapter 3 of Colossians. Well, as we pr- approach that, we, we want to be reminded last week um, what Paul did for us. He helped prepare us, our hearts, for today's passage by emphasizing four aspects of our identification or our relationship, our Christian ID, if you will, in Jesus. First of all, we died with him. We are raised with him. We are hidden in Christ. And since we no longer belong to the world, we anticipate one day sharing in his glory. And so Paul wanted to make sure that that was understood, that your, your, your position in the Lord is understood. And so he said in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now in Colossians, this was yet another statement from Paul that affirmed our positional relationship with the Lord. And the reason was it was a response to the false teaching that was happening, the worldly philosophy that was invading the church. Much of the same is true today. We have a type of mysticism in the form of New Ageism. You know, all this tarot card stuff, all this seance and Ouija board, it's still alive and unfortunately thriving in many parts of our society. We also have our man-made legalism, which you see more of in the, in the press, That's the banner of social justice and climate activism. That has become a religion for some. We also have these cult organizations. And they tend to, and they've been around a long time, they add to the Bible in their attempt to diminish or deny Jesus' deity. And then, of course, we have what's kind of new in the last 20 or 30 years is progressive Christianity. They water down the Word of God. And they even affirm sinful lifestyles. And these have surrounded and even infiltrated the church today. And so in Paul, what he's saying here to us from last week, he's saying in verses 1 through 4, Paul is challenging us to learn and grow in our thinking. He says we need to think, uh, seek those things which are above. Since you and I are now Christians, our thinking and desires should be primarily centered on the glory and worship of God in Christ. John 4:24 God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so now that our hearts and minds are fully convinced of who we are in Christ, Paul begins to shine a light into the things that will hinder our walk with the Lord and with others. Our past life of sin should no longer be comfortable in our new life with Christ. And he will start with by dealing and of course naming the things that linger in our thought life. These are mainly inappropriate sexual desires and desires for things that others may have. 
Next, he will describe the sinful things that are acted out by us through our speech and our behavior. He will command and exhort us to use our spiritual resources to put to death and put off these things and instead put on our new nature. And I'll say it more than once. We are called by God to participate in the sanctification process. We have the ability to make choices, but we also have the power to overcome sin through the Holy Spirit. And so the call that Paul has, this call to personal holiness, we're going to talk about it in two parts today. Part one and part two. It begins with verse five. Read with me. Read along with me. It says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we are here at this place. You chose this time and this date to uh, bring this message today. And Lord, let us not be afraid of what the Word of God has to say to us in its entirety. Lord, help us to receive from you. Maybe it's correction. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's a reminder of a place that we're drifting off to. And you're trying to bring us back to be aligned with your heart and your will. Whatever it is, Lord God. And Lord, we will see in this passage, as you know, there's enough for everybody to have to, hold, to be held accountable here. And so for all of us, Lord, we, we come before you with humble hearts. Speak to us now in the way that only you can and by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we start off in verses 5 through 7. Uh, if you're taking notes, this is put off your old way of life, part one. Part one. And you know, he brings the... The harder stuff first, thankfully. But don't think you're going to get off the, the hook and by the time you get to part two. Now what Paul says is we are to slay or put to death the things that formerly controlled your physical pursuits. Before you became a Christian, you were a slave to sin. Yes, not everybody was as bad as the worst. Okay, there is a, a certain degree of an individual situation. But as we move through these passages, we're reminded that God expects and equips us to participate in our sanctification process. And so he says in verse 5, therefore, and again, therefore, you know, because you know you're secure in the Lord, he has already talked to us about concentrating and thinking on the things of above and not on earth. He says, therefore, now, that, now the application truly comes in for each of us. He says, put to death your members which are on the earth. I like the NASB 
translation. It simply says, treat the parts of your body, your earthly body, as dead to sin. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. Again, that participation. Now, when he says put to death, what he means in the old King James Version, it says, you know, the word mortify, you know. And it says to deprive of power. It's to destroy the strength of something. And then he, he says, well, what are the something? And he talks about the parts of their body, um, your members. Members of your earthly body. Look, we're, we're trapped in this tent, this aging tent. Our hearts have been redeemed. Our soul has been renewed. We have eternal life in Christ. We're continually growing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet we live in a body of death. We live in a body that's getting older. And so he says, put it to death, you know, in a, in a sort of, a, it's a metaphor is what it really is. Now you say, what kind of example do you have? Well, Job 31.1 is a perfect example. He says, Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Okay, the eyes are part of his body. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? So he's dealing with lust and covetousness. And he's making a covenant with his physical body and what he looks at. But he is not referring to self-harm. Self-harm is a big, major problem in our society, especially among teenage and adolescent children. Major problem. This, as I said, is a metaphor of the sinful things that still lurk within us. Nonetheless, it's a serious concern for all of us. Consider the famous metaphor that Jesus uses in Matthew 5, 27, 30. He says, you have heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you than one of your members perish, than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast in hell. The seriousness that Jesus speaks of is used via a metaphor. Otherwise, our church would be consist of people with no hands and no eyes. What the Lord is saying is you and I need to take it seriously. And I may say this more than once today, that if we are serious about a revival in our country, then we need to be very serious about personal holiness. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. He says, Obviously, neither Paul nor Jesus was re recommending literal surgery, for sin does not come from the eye or the hand, but from the heart, the evil within. Centuries passed in England, if a pickpocket was caught and convicted, his right hand was cut off. If he was caught again, his left hand suffered the same fate. One pickpocket lost both hands and continued his occupation with his teeth. So they say. Physical dismemberment cannot change the heart. Put to death, as Paul uses it, means to discard evil practices. Here in Colossians, to get rid of the twin evils of sexual sin and covetousness, writes Kent Hughes. And this is where the ongoing problem of sin arises for you and I. Although someday... 
In the future, our physical body will indeed be raised and transformed physically. Our new spirits must dwell in our fallen bodies. Previously, our spirits were in bondage to sin. But now our spirits have been set free from this bondage. What Paul is saying is God created the body so we know that the body is good. And he's not opposed to it. But instead, he's using flesh again as a metaphor where sin resides as we await our sinless resurrected bodies, says one writer. So he's given us the, um, the command to put off, to put to death. A very serious command. And now he's going to give us the description. Now why is it important that he give us the description? We cannot afford to be vague about sin. Now I am not going to go into great and gory detail, folks. I'll tell you that right now. But, I mean, you guys have heard enough of it. You don't need to hear it from me. But I'm going to read what the Bible says. And he says here, this is what you're to put to death. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's been said very often that we, when we see these lists, we should kind of pay attention to what, ha- what comes first. Fornication comes from the Greek word pornea, which is where we get the word pornography. This word is listed 26 times in the New Testament. In general, it's a definition of illicit sexual acts. It is outside God's boundaries for sexual relations, which he has reserved in marriage between one man and one woman. This includes adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, bestiality, pedophilia, and incest. It can also be found in the scriptures as a metaphor for idolatry, such as eating sacrifices offered to idols. Next, we see uh, a cousin to fornication, uncleanness, or moral impurity. This refers to a lustful extravagance and self-indulgence, often listed together in these lists when you see them throughout the Bible. Fornication, greed, and lewdness. He also mentions passion or pathos. This is inordinate affection, and it's used here, of course, in a bad sense, the affection of the mind or passionate desire. Now in Romans 1.26, Paul wrote this. He said, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Next we have evil desire. This is a wrong desire for what is forbidden, frequently translated as lust. And then covetousness or plexonia. It's a greedy desire to have more. And then he, des- he describes it even further, which is idolatry. This is also the worship of money, power, and possessions. Chuck Swindoll wrote this. He says, in a world which we live, enough is never enough. A promotion is never high enough. A salary is never large enough. Things are never plentiful plentiful enough. So we end up worshiping those things that utterly fail to bring us lasting contentment or pleasure. We are a very spoiled person, people, excuse me, and very deceived The more we have, the more we want. And he exhorts, he says, we need to get rid of such out-of-control materialism. Look, follow the money for the the whole uh, um, advertising industry. 
I mean, they are geniuses because they have studied you and I so closely. And they know how to hook us in. Now, there's a very common and very dangerous effect that results from all of these things that I haven't mentioned. You have substance abuse and use. And here, these things in this first part one of personal holiness, these are the things that enslave your body and war against your soul. The rates of addiction, of substance, and sex addiction, and porn pornographic addiction are record highs. James 1, 14 through 15, he said this, how it works. He says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So we know what happens, and we've seen the tragic results of what physical addiction can do in the heart of our loved ones. Now, aside from the social destruction that takes place, here Paul gives the, some of the main reasons why these things, these passions, these lusts, this for, all these things we just listed must be executed, actually put to death. I mean, it's, it's so serious. He says in verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedient. So, you know, first thing we need to know is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. This wrath of God, it speaks of God's purposes. How, God's purposes in judgment result ultimately in His anger. His grace has flowed many, from, it's powerfully through many of us. But ultimately, God's judgment plays out through anger and, and, you know, the final judgment, the final great white throne judgment. But in the Greek language, this word wrath of God, is, it's orge, it's anger. And this is the type of anger, it's not generally sudden, but it's very deliberate. And it does result in people in an emotional flare-up. You know how somebody holds stuff in. And they, till they reach boiling point, and then finally it all comes out. But God, being who He is, um, He's given thoughtful decision, and it's based on the fact that somebody has done evil. You know, God is going to bring judgment because people choose to be disobedient. And since it is God, and this is what we're talking about, God's judgment, it is totally justified and completely righteous. I don't have a slide, but Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so, again, this refers to God's righteous judgment upon evil. Not only is it the immorality, but it's the suppression of of the truth about God. When people lie and misrepresent God, that will revolt, result in His wrath. And then, what ought to really stop us in our tracks as we consider this, and consider your old life and all the power that it took by God to release you and deliver you if you're a Christian, God also reveals His wrath 
by giving people over to their sin. He says, you want it that way? You're going to continue along that path? Okay, I'll let you have it. I'll let you have it tenfold. And so God will actually, in his judgment, allow them to morally decline further and further. And this is really just a foreshadowing of the ultimate judgment. And so first, the main reason why they must be executed and put to death is because the wrath of God is coming. Jesus said in Matthew 24, no slide, he says, For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. And so also would the coming of the Son of Man be. They lived their lives as though God didn't exist. And every thought and, and intention of their heart he knew it was evil. And God brought judgment. And the Bible says he's going to bring judgment again. To who is this judgment coming? It's to the sons of disobedience. It's the sons of disobedience. Thank you. What is disobedience? I'm not just talking to you kids in here. What is disobedience? You've, you may have heard somebody say, why are you being so obstinate? And in this case, it's disobedience to the divine will of God. But obstinance, when somebody's being obstinate, they're being stubborn. They're not yielding or easily subdued. They're not yielding to reason. They're perniciously adhering to an opinion or a purpose. As I mentioned earlier, this part of God's judgment, ultimately the last book of the Bible, if you looked over, we're not going to turn there, but Revelation 22, 14 and 15. The final chapter in the entire Bible, it says, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter through the gates of the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I mean, that's one of the last things God has to say in his word. So judgment's coming, judgment is assured, judgment is promised by God. Now, verse 7, that was the old you. You know, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't placed your trust in Him, you may not have committed all those acts, but that was the old you. And so, I like how Paul balances this, and the Holy Spirit knows it's time for some humble pie for all of us. Because it's easy for us to sit around and point at the rotten, terrible, sinful world around us, and forget where He may have delivered us from. And he says, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. So some people in the church were, you know, uh, again, Christianity was new. They weren't really raised in Christian churches. It was brand new. A lot of adults came to saving faith. And their prior life in that Greco-Roman culture was sex-saturated. Sex it was really terrible. It was a terrible time in history. And Christianity changed all that through the years. Through the century, those old gods of worship were replaced by 
the one true God as Christianity spread through history. You know, you study church history, it's, it's just an amazing story. God's story. Uh, Peter says in verse 4 of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, he kind of he spells it out for us. He says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, and they speak evil of you. When you walk away from that life, you know, some of you have a testimony. When you walk away from that life, you're going to lose some friends. And they're going to talk bad about you. Yep, he got Jesus. He's a Bible thumper now. And they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So we, we cannot, friends, we cannot forget that the Bible has everything for us. It's got the grace of God. It's got the love of God. It's got the mercy of God. But it also has the judgment of God. And we cannot overlook it. You know, I could, I mean, if I was to say, well, I'm just going to preach on my most favorite passages, this would not be it. But our call here at Calvary Chapel is to preach through the entire Word of God so that you have everything from God. Now, what about the argument of those who will tell you, hey, Pastor John, I'm not innocent of those heinous sins. I'm not a party animal. And, you know, what about the nice person or relative that would never do such things? We all know people like that. And again, like I said, not everybody was a hell's angel, okay? But the truth is, Romans 3.23, you know it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen something? Have you ever dishonored your parents? Or have you looked at somebody or something with lust? If so, you have sinned in your heart and you are just as guilty. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, listen, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's never hopeless. Never hopeless. Now you might, some of you might say, why, why do we need to spell this out so much? Why, why is it that we got to go, Pastor John, you've kind of spent a long time on those verses. Why is it? Well, one reason is, uh, and this is uh, from a, a webpage from a group called Covenant Eyes. And if you're taking notes, I would advise you to write down covenanteyes.com. Just put it in your notebook. Because you may know somebody that struggles with these things. And you yourself may be one who does. And they wrote this, covenanteyes.com. They wrote, while the 21st century church faces many threats to its spiritual strength and purity, one of the most damaging dangers is the proliferation of pornography. The magnitude of the reach never before recorded in human history. Since 1953, with the founding of Playboy, Pornography has made a steady march to become ever more accessible and hardcore through magazines, then film, then VHS, then the internet, and now on mobile devices. And he writes this. He says, I hope you are ignorant of what pornography is like today. Suffice it to say that when today's children see porn online, they don't see the common nudity of yesteryear. Instead, 
They witness hardcore, demeaning, humiliating, and often violent videos that create a lasting impact. Repetitive and ongoing porn use among boys and girls and men and women is common in local congregations. And over time, it poisons individuals emotional, emotionally and spiritually. It changes how they think and what they think about others. God in their place and their place in creation. It changes how you think of everything. Multiple studies show the prolonged por pornographic exposure, prolonged viewing of pornography over months and weeks, you know, weeks, months, and years, leads to the following. First of all, it leads to an exaggerated perception of sexual activity in society. Next, it leads to a diminished trust between intimate couples, the abandonment of hope of sexual monogamy, the belief that pros promiscuity is the natural state. The belief that abstinence and sexual inactivity are unhealthy. Cynicism about love or the need for affection between sexual partners. Belief that marriage is sexually confining. Lack of attraction to family and child raising. That's the effect of our sensitized culture. To quote a leader from Covenant Eyes, her name is Karen Potter. She says, quote, The younger generations have grown up in a pornified culture so that they're less repulsed by pornography because it has become so infiltrated into the culture through music, movies, TV, online, etc. A Barna survey in 2016 asked teenagers to list in order of greater to lesser greater to lesser, what they thought was, quote, immoral. More teens actually thought that not recycling was more immoral than viewing porn. That's the society we're living in. But listen, church, listen, you know, I've got to talk about this. The fact is that about two-thirds of Christian men and one-third of Christian women overall say that they have an ongoing struggle with porn. And 69% of pastors say porn has adverse, adversely affected their church. So we have a sensitized culture. It's in the church. And then you end up with a tragic result. Many of us recently, recently watched the movie Sound of Freedom. This was a sobering expose of the child sex trafficking ex or epidemic. And this is a direct result of the pornified culture we're talking about. It's a multi-billion dollar industry and it has grown steadily. There's an a organization called uh, the uh, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. You can go to their website. And they have a cyber tip line which offers the uh, public and online, uh, they, they allow these internet providers and electronic uh, service you know, providers an easy way to report suspected incidents of sexual exploitation of children online. In 2022, the cyber tip line received 32 million reports with the child pornography as the largest category. 99.5% of all those reports were suspected child pornography. 
In fact, they say it this way, millions of cyber tip line reports every year, mostly submitted by a handful of companies, not all the internet providers by any stretch of the means, especially overseas and around the world. And we know we live in the world of the internet, even bother to participate in this reporting process. So it's only a handful of com companies and they said it's evidence that we know about the extent of child exploitation online is just the tip of the iceberg. Most tech companies around the world choose not to proactively detect and report child sexual exploitation on their networks. What the cyber tip line data proves is the problem continues to grow with limited intervention by the global tech community. And you can find that on www.missingkids.org. You know, it, when, when the time of Noah, we mentioned that earlier, when the thoughts and the, the, the intentions of the heart were evil by everyone around the world, and you can see by stuff like this that it is getting there, it's getting to that point of judgment, I believe. But the question really is for each of us, when we talk about putting to death these things, how do you do it? How do you do it? Well, remember what I said earlier. We must participate in our life of personal holiness. We need to be honest with ourselves before God. In light of the scripture from last week declaring that we died with Christ and now we're hidden with him in heaven. That we are tempted to sin when we are tempted to sin. And, and Jesus was tempted in all ways, but he didn't sin. But when we are tempted to sin... We need to listen to the Holy Spirit reminding us that we are, in effect, now dead to it. We have to consider ourselves dead to those temptations, to that sin. By His strength, we can put it to death. The fact of the matter is, is you and I have victory over that kind of stuff all the time. But, you know, Paul is wanting to remind us. You know, if you're serious about your Christian walk... You need to be serious about your personal holiness. I need to be serious. We all need to. But it's only through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you might say, well, what if, what if, I, what if you? What if, if, you know, this is not a place to have a sign up or a show of hands. But what if you or a loved one has already become addicted to porn? Pornography is so addictive. It's, it's on the level of opiate addiction. It's sometimes, some, one group said, it, it's some, in some cases, it can take two to five years to break the cycle of pornography. And what if somebody's already become addicted to it? You probably know somebody. Again, I can, I'm just going to point you. CovenantEyes.com is doing a wonderful thing. www.covenanteyes.com Go there and... Find help. Find help. If a men's group, if you wanted to be more accountable with a men's prayer group, you know, it's, it costs like $16 a month. And you could put like 10 guys. And what it does is it, it takes your phone and everybody sees where you're going. And if you go somewhere inappropriate, it's not a filter, then you have an accountability partner to reach out to you and say, hey, how's it going? You know, I noticed this or that or whatever. It's a great tool for accountability. And why not? Why not? I, I have it on my phone. I'm accountable to others on my phone through this, through this uh, ministry. 
We're to seek accountability. Move into the light. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 1 John 1.9, remember this, never forget that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we come to part two. Put off your old way of life. Strip away or put off or throw off the things that formerly controlled your attitudes and your speech. Maybe you managed to sweat your way through that first part, okay? But here we come to what has been called the sins of good standing among believers. Why? Because they are what we as Christians are most often guilty of. He says in verse 8, But now you yourselves are to put off all of these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. So that, that's the command. To put away. Don't look at your spouse. Don't uh, think about your neighbor. Because you're all plank owners in this process, aren't you? Aren't we? So the command is to put these things off. It's like changing clothes, taking off the old. But notice this description, the anger, the wrath, the malice. We'll go through it quickly. You know what they are. But they're sometimes referred to as sins of emotion because they can enslave our emotions and our tongues. Anger, again, it's the strongest of all passions. And when it applies to God, as we said earlier, it's righteous. But when anger applies to man, this unrighteous anger, this wrath or anger, it is not. James 1.20 says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Again, notice what came first on the list. It was, it was wrath. Anger and then wrath. So he, he lists anger and wrath, two separate words, one is uh, more gradual, and one is, you know, you're always blowing up. You're always angry. So uh, wrath is, is sort of a gradual simmering until you reach your boiling point. And then other people, you know, you say, well, at least they tell me what they think all the time. They tell me exactly how angry they are because they blast me constantly. Or I blast them. So anger and wrath, put it off. How about malice? Oh, this is the secret one, right? This is the ill will and the desire to injure others. You know, when that person has trouble, you're secretly glad. Or when they do well and they have success, you're secretly mad. Put it off. How about blasphemy? That's slander, gossip, speech injurious to another's good name. Oh, how we are guilty of that, friends. And then, of course, filthy language out of your mouth. Foul speaking and obscene speech. All these things. He says, put it off. You're no longer dead in sin. You're no longer lying in that grave and those grave clothes. Let it go. And he says in verse 9, do not lie to one another. To lie, of course, means to deceive. And we get good at this. We get skilled, unfortunately, very skilled and manipulative to learn how to deceive one another. 
It misrepresents the truth. It camouflages and hides the truth. It builds on the wrong relationship. It destroys confidence, trust, and security. When somebody lies to you, you say, I don't trust that person anymore. I can't trust them. Of course, then you gossip about that person to others. It's a, it's a tangled web that we weave. And yet we're still believers. We're still Christians and God forgives us of our sins. Oh, he is so good. His grace is so, so unbelievable. And so he says, next, he's going to give us three reasons why we need, need to put it off. I mean, you guys know, you know, if, you're, if, if, if you're, your conscience is speaking to you. But there's three reasons here. He says, first, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You know, as, you're no longer stuck in that grave. You don't have those nasty old grave clothes. You know, you come out of, you're, you're dead to sin and you're alive to Christ. And so you can put off the old way. You don't have to do that. Our Lord Jesus shed his clothes at the tomb. He says, put off the old man. This was who you were before Christ. It was your mode of thought, your feeling, and your action. It has been changed. He says, put it off. And then he says in verse 10, Put on the new man. Now we're going to go further into this next week. So as you read ahead, it's going to get a little more detail. But he says, put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So first you've, you've laid aside your old self. Then you are to put off the old man, put off the old grave, grave clothes, and now put on the new man. Be conformed in the nature of God. Did you change when you became a Christian? Amen. Amen. Are you still being changed? Are you still being renewed in the image of Christ? Notice he says, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You and I, as we continue on in this walk, we are renewed in knowledge. Again, epignosis, that perfect and complete knowledge of God. And we do it in accordance to the image of him, the icon, the moral likeness of a renewed man to God. Ephesians 4.24 is a parallel verse. It says that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Our life in Christ as we're growing in Him, there is a constant renewal taking place. One of true knowledge. Not head knowledge, but heart and mind that is being conformed into His likeness. Why it's so important for us to be in His Word, to have our daily devotions, to memorize Scripture, to meditate and give thought to the things of God is because He's constantly changing us. Even though, <laughs> even though we're getting older physically. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says to those who are getting older physically, he says, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, our outward body, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Well, when you meet somebody that's been walking with the Lord for their lifetime, for 40, 50, 60 years, you see a light that shines. They may have a hard time getting around, but they have a light that shines for Christ. Because it's evermore being renewed and growing. And finally, we, Paul reminds us we're all one body. We're all Christ's body. And he talks about the issue, if you will, of um, you know, social status, um, the issue of racism, the issue of, of uh, 
you know, all, all the things that we, we see on a renewed basis now in our day and age. And so he says, we're all one body, we're Christ's body. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew. So we're no longer divided by race or birth. God dealt with that. We just need to come, you know, again, realize the truth. He dealt with the issue in Christ. Neither circumcised nor uncircumcised. We're no longer divided by ritual and religion. By ritual and religion. When we allow those things to come in, it can cause division. And Christ, he wiped that out. And then, of course, barbarian and Scythian. We are no longer divided by education or culture. We want our kids to have a wonderful education. We want to do the best we can for our kids and our grandkids. But we're not snobs in higher education in the body of Christ. In, uh, in Paul's day, a barbarian was a generic term for somebody who didn't speak Greek. They didn't speak the language. And a Scythian was, you know, the one percenter, the, the, the worst of all bad people. Um, they were regarded uh, by civilized nations as to, to the wildest of barbarians. And you think today in our day and age when you have hell's angels, you know, the one percenters, the real bad ones that come to Christ and they actually have ministry, motorcycle ministry. Or how about that, the worst gangs in the world, MI-13, when they come to know the Lord. He says, finally, neither slave nor free. We're no longer as well divided by social class and wealth. And that's one of the things that governments use to control and try to control the agenda. And you see it happening now that it's election year has come. By social class and wealth and all the other things we mentioned. We're no longer divided by these things. Not in Christ. Not in the church. There's no place for those things in the church. And then he concludes by saying, but Christ is all and in all. We are all one in Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So in conclusion, what are we to do and what are we to know? Well, I think I've loaded you up with a bunch of things to know. Or first of all, to put off our old way of life. Or to put to death the things that formerly controlled our physical pursuits. We're to put off our old way of life and strip away and throw off the things that formerly controlled our attitudes and our speech. We can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. But let's be reminded, never, when it comes to your personal holiness, never weary of doing good. Never grow weary of doing good. We are to be active participants in the call to a life of holiness. But the only way we can overcome sin is in the way is by walking in the Spirit. Paul says that if we live by the Spirit, we will put to death the deeds of the body. So yes, let's pray for revival. Amen. But you and I need to get serious. I mean serious about our own revival. That's the path to holiness. The means is grace. The power is through the Holy Spirit because Christ is in all and in all. Yes. Christ is all. Amen? Amen. 
I'm going to close this in prayer, and I think that we're going to have a presentation from our VBS kids are going to come in and sing a song uh, today for us and bless us with that. Let's uh, let's close our our service. Uh, Lord, we thank you for our time today, and Lord, we just simply ask that you uh, would help us to take this in. Lord, I pray that each one of us will meditate on your words. Maybe reread these passages when we go uh, back to our homes, maybe today. Maybe there's something that you want to deal with us personally. And Lord, if we need help, let us be ready. If, if we're the ones that need help, let us be honest and let us seek the help that we need. And if we know somebody who needs help, let us be gracious, Lord, and loving and kind. Lord, we just want to walk in a way, that, in a manner that brings honor and glory to you. And so we need to put off these things, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for showing us that. And so go before us now as we conclude our service. We, we love you, Lord. We thank you again for all that you do. And we pray this now in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.